Lord Jesus, today we thank you that every single one of us are an object of your love, of your care. We thank you that in this place this morning, there is not one person that's more important than another in your sight. Lord, we thank you, whether we're sat at the back or whether we're sat at the front, it is completely irrelevant to you. We thank you that the same price was paid for each one of our lives when you purchased us with your own blood. We buy things every day with things such as the currency that we use. But when you wanted to purchase us with your your love, you used your own life to do it. And for that, Lord, we are forever grateful. We will never, ever let that become anything else than it should be. The wonder, the glory of it all. Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you. Our lives are not our own. We do not want them to be our own. They have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we may not be where we want to be today, but we're not where we were. You've saved us, you've redeemed us, and you're conforming us to your wonderful image so that our lives resemble your glorious life. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give him a big shout this morning. Woo! We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Let's give our musicians a big, giant shout. What a wonderful job they do for us every week in serving us and bringing us into God's presence. Well, this morning... I want to continue just something that we started last week. We started to to look at what a family is. What does God have in mind when he thinks about family? What is his intention? What is his plan? What is his purpose when it comes to family? The church is a family. The church is not this building. We thank God for this building. It keeps the rain out, keeps the warm in, and we can come together and we can enjoy each other's company. But this building is not the church. We're the church. We're the family of God. And you know, if a family is going to be healthy, if a family is going to be strong, some of the things that we said last week was that if a family is going to achieve everything that God wants it to be, if it's going to enter into what God's designed for it, there has to be an interdependence within the family that keeps it strong, that keeps it together, that takes it through every different season of life. Do you know, you know as well as I do, in family life there's lots of ups and there's lots of downs. 
Sometimes there's lots of changes that cause lots of different kinds of reactions and lots of different kinds of emotions to surface. You only have to come into a family home to see that scenario played out in everyday life. You know, you can make a little change and suddenly you'll get objections coming forward and some of the children will like it because they want to be on your side and show you their favor. Others will object to it. Others will dig their heels in. Others will rebel against it. And this is all of the dynamics that go on in family life. Church is no different. And it shouldn't be any different. It's a good thing to have that mixture, to have that variance. When there's conflict and when there's change and when there's happiness and sadness in the family home, that's not a threat to it. That's just part of the dynamic and part of the experience and, and part of this word, family. But what is it that keeps family together? What is it that enables families to be strong when times are tough? I believe it's a very simple answer and it's an answer that we all know. The one ingredient that's necessary in every family, if it's to succeed, if it is to be strong, if it is to be resilient against the outer forces that try to attack it and bring it down, the one ingredient that's necessary in every family, if it's going to be everything that God intended it to be, is this ingredient of love. Love. When there's love in a home, when there's love in a family, when there's love in God's house, you'll still get sometimes disagreement. You'll still get, you know, contention and sometimes strife. But when love is at the core and at the root and when love is the foundation from which we're building, we'll be able to move through every difficulty, every circumstance and every change and go on into everything that God's intended us to be. Love is the key. Love is the ingredient that is necessary in every relationship that we have. You go out into your world tomorrow, you go into your workplace and, you know, sometimes there'll be jockeying for position, there'll be one trying to get above another, there'll be all kinds of contentions going on out in the world in which we live. And yet because of this ingredient that God has placed within you, this amazing ingredient called love, because it's in you, it resides within you and me as a result of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to be successful in the midst of all of that troubling circumstance of life and crisis. Romans 8 tells us clearly that God has shed abroad his love within your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's this love that's unconditional. It's this love that, that remains strong in the midst of any type of adversity. It's th this is the key to make every relationship thrive and every relationship strong and every family to be the intention that God has called it to be, intended it to be. Love is the key. Love is the key. 
Now, when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we talked about it this morning. In John chapter 13, Jesus demonstrated this in an amazing way. In an absolutely amazing way. The final hours of his life, he's in a room with the boys. They'd been with him for three years. They'd watched him do all manner of wonderful things. And he's at the closing moments of his life. And he wants to teach them in a way that he'd never taught them. He does something that he's never done before. And it would stay with them and mark them forever. He washes their feet. Peter objects. And Jesus responds to that. He said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. And again, your mouth is getting you in trouble. But afterwards, you will understand what I'm doing. But if you don't allow me to do what I'm doing, you have no part with me. If you don't allow me to display this level of love to you, then we don't have a future together, Peter. And Peter said, oh my gosh. He goes to, the, you know, the pendulum swings extremely to the other side. He said, Lord, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, listen, we don't need to do that. You don't understand what I'm doing. He washes their feet and then suddenly he begins to unpack really what their future is all about. And he says to them, he says, as I have loved you, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. He wasn't giving them commandment number 11. He wasn't adding another commandment to the previous 10 that were in the Old Testament. No, he was closing everything about that Old Testament down on that night. It was all coming to an end and he was revealing to them a new commandment, the one commandment that was necessary for their lives and for their future. If they were going to build anything with Jesus in the future, this had to be at the heart, it had to be at the foundation of their whole life together. And he says, boys, as I have loved you, Love one another. That's the one commandment I'm leaving you with. And that is the only commandment. I'm not telling you to verse yourself in the old ten laws that are found in Leviticus. There's nothing back there for you. If you get this right, if you focus your attention on this one commandment, to love one another as I have loved you, all of the others will be fulfilled. You know, a religious man came to Jesus on one occasion. And he said, what's the greatest laws? What are the, what are the commands that are most prominent? He was testing Jesus, a religious man. And Jesus said to him, he said, well, he said, the first one says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And the second one says, love your neighbor as you, as you love yourself. Jesus was referring to the first two commandments of the old ten 
that were contained in the Levitical law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, he said. And this man turned around and said to Jesus, he said, you've answered correctly. How condescending. But Jesus here wasn't telling his disciples to love their neighbor as they loved themselves. That was an old commandment. That was a substandard commandment. That was a commandment that would never take them into their world with any kind of answers, with any kind of solution for the problem that they were going to meet, that they were going to be faced with. Jesus put that aside and closed it down. And on this night, in John chapter 13, his final hours, he said, a new commandment I give to you. He didn't refer to the old Levitical command of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. That is, that is so inferior. I'm going to give you a power. I'm going, to, I'm going to place my love inside you. And you won't need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You'll be, able, you'll be enabled to live in my love. And from my love, you will be able to love others as I have loved you. What a standard. What a life. What an expectation that God has for us. On another occasion, a lawyer came to Jesus. And he he tried to trip Jesus up. And he said, uh, again, it was the same question. He said, Jesus... uh, What are the greatest commandments that I must keep? Jesus again reiterated these first two commands. And he said to Jesus, he said, well, he said, I've done all that. Anything else I've got to do? So Jesus turned it on its head and he he began to tell him a story about a man that was on his way to Jericho. And he got struck by robbers and he was left dying and naked. And then a priest came along, one that was versed in the law, one that knew the commandments. In fact, the priest wore the first five books of the Bible in miniature form on his wrist and on his forehead in a little box. So here's a man that represents the law. Here's a man that's versed in scripture. Here's a man that knows the book from beginning to end. He knows that the first important commandment of of the Ten Commandments was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, to have a dependence on God. We talked about dependence last week. But also to have a dependence on one another. And he saw that man that that was dying, that was left for dead. And Jesus said, he walked on by. You see, you can know the law but have no life. You can know the Bible, but never do anything with it. That's why James said, don't just be hearers of the word. And he says that to all of us. Dave, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. A priest with all of his position and all of his status and all of his his religious history coldly walked on by 
even though he knew the law. The law did not empower him to do anything in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of life, in the midst of difficulty and pain. Walked on by. A Levite, again, comes to the scene and he looks on and he crosses over. He makes a step to cross over to where the man is and he observes him and he he inspects the situation and makes a quick calculation as to what's required. Bible says he walks on. He walks on by. So you have two people here now that were versed in the Bible, versed in the Scriptures, knew everything from beginning to end when it came to what you should do, coldly and secretly walked on by because nobody was watching except God was. And then you have this Samaritan, a man who was considered to be completely godless, a man that, that really had no history when it came to being religious. He was just a commoner. In fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans and they saw them as idol worshippers. He walks up to the situation. If you'd have asked him what the Ten Commandments were, He probably wouldn't even know what the commandments, what any of the commandments would have been. And yet this man, it says, was moved with compassion in his heart. He got down and he poured in the oil and the wine and he bandaged the man's wounds. And he took him on his donkey and it says that he placed him in an inn and he looked after him. And then when he had to leave on business the next day, he paid the entire bill and he said, whatever this man needs, whilst he's in your care, make sure, make sure that you send the bill to me. You see, it's not in knowing the law. It's not in in knowing the Bible. It's not, and I'm not, I don't want to underestimate study or reading or doing your devotions to God. I don't want to underestimate that at all. I think it's fantastic. But if that is all it is, it's not enough. It really isn't. And Jesus, on this night, in this room, said to the boys, he said, boys, you've seen me in the religious world. This is what he was saying. You've seen me go out into the religious world. You've seen how hypocritical it is. But that is not what I'm building. That is not what I'm in. That is not what I'm doing. Why do you think they kicked me out of the synagogue on my first opening sermon? It's because they're repulsed by who I am. They're repulsed by what I'm bringing. So he went into the highways and the byways. And his love extended into every border. And into every environment, you found him in lepers' colonies, you found him with prostitutes, you found him with sinners, you found him in graveyards, you found him with multitudes of people around him. Why? Because love is attractive. Love draws people. People will never reject you. When the love of God is in you, and Jesus 
was equipping them and enabling them and strengthening them and encouraging them about their future. And he said, he was saying to them, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's going to enable you and empower you to go into the future and do everything that I've called you to do. And later on, he told them about a commission, about speaking the good news of the gospel. What is that? It's a good news. It's good news to people about the love of God, about the acceptance of God that's unconditional, that we can never separate ourselves from. The love of God in our hearts will do incredible things if we allow it. Who knows? What can be achieved with your life and with my life as we allow God's love out through us and to a lost and a broken world? As I've loved you, love others. As I've loved you, love others. Maybe their minds went back to the time when they were on the boat, they'd fished all night, caught nothing. Then Jesus steps into the boat, asks Peter, Peter's permission, can I come into your boat? And he delivers his talk to the people that are on the shore. And then he says to Peter, cast out a little bit deeper, Peter. And then Jesus says, throw down your nets. And Peter objects. We fished all night, caught nothing. And then suddenly the, the net goes down. Peter says, but at your word... I'll lower the net. The net goes down. Peter knew, you see, that the water was empty. Peter knew that there was, that there was nothing below the boat. Why? Because they had gone out in the night, the optimum time to catch fish. And not only that, thousands of people were on the shore and it was the hustle and the bustle of the multitude, the noise. There was going to be no fish below the boat Jesus what are you saying lower the net he lowers the net and suddenly there's a weight of fish that's breaking the net and he has to call for others to try and come and haul in the abundance and the boat starts sinking and and all kinds of things start happening in their minds as to what is happening because it's not normal, it's not orderly. Maybe their minds went back to that. I loved you when you'd worked all night and caught nothing. And my love provided for you. Love one another in that way. When somebody's got nothing, when they need your help, even if it's just an encouraging word, even if it's just your support. I supported you in your crisis when everything was unfruitful for you. I came into your boat and I brought abundance. Or maybe their minds went to the time when there was a storm and they were in terrible fear and they were panicking. And they thought that the boat was going to go down and they were in crisis. Jesus didn't stand up in the boat and start, you know, 
smashing them apart, saying, I don't want you on my team anymore. You haven't got what it, it, what it takes. You haven't got the faith that I need. You're not resilient enough. You can't even stand up against this storm. No, love. Love. As I have loved you. He loved them in the darkest night. He loved them when they were at their greatest point of fear. He didn't criticize them. He instructed them. He said, boys, you need to have some faith here. Be still. And peace came over the lake. But every, every moment of their lives... For them personally and what they saw around them when it came to Jesus was just a display of unconditional love. Healing people, changing people, delivering people, providing for people, caring for people. Not only attracted by mass crowds, but the one and the two were as important as the multitudes out in the wilderness. And suddenly he would leave the multitude and he would travel 20, 30 miles to get to one person. A love that's off the chart. A love that is not deterred by anything. A love that's not manipulated by crowds. But a love that looks at a sparrow falling. A love that looks at a woman with just two pennies putting it in to the box. And he said, as you've seen me love you, as you've experienced me loving you, I want you to love others in the same way I really do. Do you know, in the church, in this house, we are a family. And the wonderful thing about this family is this. God's love is at the center of our hearts. God's love is being shed abroad in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he brings people to us, whether it be in our daily course of living, or whether he brings people to us in our, in our workplace, in our homes, or even here on a Sunday morning, that love will enable us to help other people. It will enable us to be there for them when they're in their, in their darkest hour. As we've received his love, so we can love others. Do you know the Bible says clearly, I, I spoke about it last week. It talks about us casting our burdens on Jesus because he cares for us. Jesus loves us. Isn't that great? He doesn't want us to carry the heavy weights of life. He doesn't want us to carry burdens. So he says, cast your burdens on me. But then we said, what is it? What, what, what happens when? We can't cast our burdens. What happens when life gets tough, life gets difficult, and suddenly we can't relieve ourselves of the troubles that we're facing? What happens then? 
We can't throw them onto Jesus. Do you know, sometimes your burden can be your greatest blessing. It can. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? What is it? It's not the Ten Commandments. It's the one commandment that he gave in John 13 in the upper room. As I have loved you, love one another. I've borne your burdens, boys. In fact, I've borne the burdens of the whole world. Now bear one another's burdens. Get up under. If you see somebody in trouble, if you see somebody going through difficulty, if there's a crisis in their life, if they're facing fears, if there's just, you know, troubles going through their heart, get up under them and bear that burden with them. Your burden then can become your greatest blessing. Why? Because you're going to see a life and a love in your brother and your sister that's truly of Jesus. And I'm telling you now, when we begin to do that, and as we have done it over the years as a company of people, it will be a bright shining light in a dark world. You go and try that on in the world. Well, actually, you know, the world do do it. There are people, wonderful people, that don't even know Jesus, that bear the burdens of others in a wonderful way. No, it's not just about casting them all on Jesus. I, rem- I tell you now, I remember seeing this and I thought, wow, what a wonderful balance. What a wonderful balance. I've asked James to come. We're going to close in a minute. What a wonderful balance. It's not cast, cast, cast your burdens on Jesus because he cares for us. It's bear one another's burdens too and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12, verse 15 and 16 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. If a family is going to be strong, if a family is going to be everything that God intended it to be. If a family is going to be that wonderful bright light, that glorious light that's attractive, that welcomes people home, at the core of it all, there's going to have to be a love that is unconditional, that is unbreakable, that invites and embraces at every every level. Why is it that there were no lepers in the synagogue? Why is it that the sick were banished from there? Why is it that the poor were despised and they had to sit at the back? Old covenant. Because it was based on love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it will never cut it. 
Why? Because it's sourced in the natural. But when God comes in and he says, I've shed my love abroad in your heart, there's something supernatural about life. There's something supernatural about the way we can live towards other people. So now the church is all embracing, it's all encompassing. It welcomes all in, no matter what status of life you come from, whether it's strong or whether it's weak. And Paul, he nearly got killed for this. He said, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no distinction or class. There's no high level or low level. Why? Because the power of God's love was shaping their belief system as they were forging through the world and doing what Jesus had called them to do. It's wonderful to rejoice with those that rejoice. Do you know sometimes some of the biggest struggles that people have is to be happy when other people are happy. Why? Because they're jealous, they're envious. Sometimes it's a lot easier to weep with those that weep because you're in a strong position and they're in a weak position. You can retain your standard of life. But when the love of Christ is within you, you'll rejoice and be thrilled when others succeed. That's good home life. That's good family principles. That's what should be happening at every level in church. Tell you, if my son or my my daughter or my wife, my daughters or my wife succeeds, I'm the happiest man. And I know that would be the same for them with me in any area. That's the same in church life. We rejoice when you succeed. We rejoice when you rejoice. But also we weep when you weep. This is the wonderful dynamic of a healthy family. And let me say this today, do you know what? We've all got, all of us, right? Not just one or two or... We've all got broken ideas of what family is. We've all suffered. We've all got a picture of family that is maybe distorted. And we've all had our ups and downs in family, every single one of us. But together, corporately, as God's household, we're building a family that has his love at the core, has his love at the center. And it's not just looking at somebody standing on a platform and thinking, oh, he's got it cracked. Certainly not. Absolutely not. It's when we look together at one another and we we see, wow. Wow. Look at what they're doing. I remember one one of the greatest lessons I had about God's love in a person's life was with Dale one day. He didn't even know I was watching him. Wasn't when he was preaching. I tell you, Dale's an awesome preacher. Absolutely fantastic. But, and, and I've learned so much and been so blessed by Dale's preaching over the years. Awesome this morning. Fantastic, man. But I tell you now, one of the greatest lessons and examples, example is the better, better word, one of the greatest examples that I've seen of just 
the self-control of God's love in a person's life was on an occasion with Dale. He was in the back kitchen and, and somebody started to talk about somebody and say some stuff to Dale that they had said about him. And you know what? He just held himself. Bible says there's a time to speak, but there's actually a time to be quiet. And love will enable you to speak, but love will also enable you to be quiet and hold yourself. And on that day, when he could have gone, da, 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 love held him. Love kept him. What a wonderful example that is to see. And we will see it as we live our lives together in this household. We will see it and our own lives together as a family will teach all of us. Amen? Amen. We'll close our eyes a minute. Lord Jesus, we just thank you today for your word to us. Lord, we just pray that you would help us. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of having this same love that you had. We want to walk in it like you walked in it. We want to live in it like you live in it. And we realize some of the tests on that love were just unbelievable. And by choice, we'd never, ever want to put ourselves in the situations that you were in, ever. But Lord, if we're in situations today that are testing us, that are trying to pull us apart, pull us out of the family of God, we pray that your love would hold us together and we would speak and behave and do what you would have us do. While eyes are closed, you may be here today and you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. I want to pray a prayer with you right now just to do that. Jesus wants to place his love in your heart. He wants to wrap his arms around you and give you peace. Are you here this morning and you've never asked Jesus into your heart? I'm going to pray a prayer right now. Give you the opportunity to do that. Just quietly with me, pray this prayer. It'll help you. Say, Lord Jesus, this morning I ask you to come into my heart to be my saviour. I believe you died for me and I want to have a relationship with you. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.